Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Major League Fantasy Sports Radio Show on Blog Talk. I'm your host, Cole Friel, and today we'll be once again doing some reviews and some previews. We'll be talking injuries and what some fallout might be from those injuries. We'll also cover some early season surprise performers as well on the positive and negative side. Uh, And then we will conclude today looking forward to the weekend and some expectations that we have uh, both for pitchers and for hitters. Uh, That will be a bit of a streaming section and maybe a bit of a DFS section as well. Uh, But before we get into all of that, I'd like to bring in my co-host, Kyle Amore. Uh, Kyle is a writer at MajorLeagueFantasySports.com and a former collegiate and semi-pro pitcher himself. Uh, welcome to the show, Kyle, and uh, how are you doing today? No, I'm, I'm doing well. Glad to be back. Um, kind of crappy outside with all this rain right now, but uh, baseball's here. We're, I mean, we're already through, what, two weeks now? It's crazy. We've seen a lot of good stories, a lot of disappointing injuries, Everyone's definitely hitting that uh, 10-day uh, IL uh, awfully, uh, awfully quick. So it's been frustrating, but there's been a lot of good. Yeah, it's it's the only time of year, April, where you you open up you know that weather page and you see rain all throughout the year, but it's the only time you see 45 uh, and rain, and you know you're going to get uh, some really ugly games. Uh, but before we get in to the main portion of our show, uh, I'd like to remind our audience about our partner. Thrive Fantasy. Uh, Thrive offers a, a different uh, daily fantasy model instead uh, using prop bets instead of salary. Uh, it is a new kind of daily fantasy platform. Uh, go to thrivefantasy.com uh, and put in the promo code MLFS and they will match your first $10. You can also go to majorleaguefantasysports.com and click the Thrive Fantasy link. Uh, and once again, the promo code is MLFS to match your first $10. We're also seeking members for our 2019 football leagues. Uh, These are competitive leagues, and we're looking to really find the right matches for these leagues. Uh, If you're interested in joining, email Corey D. Roberts at MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. Once again, that's MajorLeagueFantasySports at gmail.com. And if you like the work that we do here, you go to our Patreon account to donate. Uh, It's Patreon.com slash MajorLeagueFantasySports. So, what we'll begin today's show with is looking at the injuries, specifically looking at ones that are uh, more recent so that there'll be uh, more talking points. Uh, I think the one that I'll start the show off with bringing up to Kyle uh, is probably the biggest one to happen and also the most bizarre one to happen, and that's the Blake Snell toe injury. Uh, my understanding, and I didn't get too deep into it, is that he tried to move something ceramic or granite uh, in his bathroom, and he didn't realize that it was two pieces. He thought it was one, and one of the pieces fell and hurt, injured his toe, rather. Uh, any any comments on what is the first real bizarre injury of the season with Blake Snell? Yeah, I think it's probably more frustrating for him than, than as painful as it sounds. It's just frustrating. I mean, it's one of those things where it's a freak accident, and 
I mean, with a broken toe, there's really nothing you can do. And then what really stinks for him is that right big toe, and that's his plant foot when he's on the mound. So, you know, it's something that's probably going to see him miss a few starts. I'd imagine he might miss at least three starts. Again, there's not a whole lot you can do that he needs to get his conditioning up to. And what are you going to do condition when you're a pitcher? You do a lot of running. So that's definitely going to be out of the case for a while. So, you know, hopefully he can at least get out on an elliptical and uh, try to do some anti-gravity uh, um, workouts. Maybe they can get him in a pool in the meantime just so he can get something going on uh, for his cardio. But, yeah, I mean, it's a freak injury. It's one that definitely sucks, especially for, uh, I mean, teams that, I should say owners that have, now and with pitching injuries as they have been so far, you're adding another guy, a top guy, you know, the the, the reigning AL Cy Young award winner. So it, it's definitely frustrating. It's just, again, it's one of those freak accidents. And for him, I'm sure it's even more frustrating and it is painful. Yeah, you know, usually in a lot of these injury cases, we talk about replacements. But, but in this situation with the Tampa Bay Rays, they have such a, a non-traditional rotation in the first place that I don't necessarily know, you know, until like, you know, your Honeywell start coming up, if there's anything to be made uh, of replacements in this situation. Uh, on the opposite side of things, the one position that we always talk about replacements for right away is the closer. And Aroldis Vizcaino was ruled out for the entire season uh, with a shoulder injury. We talk about shoulders being scary, uh, but this one, at least for 2019, is very clear out for season. Uh, you know, do you think it's A.J. Mentor, or, or how do you think this brave uh, save situation unfolds? Yeah, so, I, I mean, Snicker really hasn't gone into too much detail, but I'd have to imagine that A.J. Mentor would be the early favorite to, you know, get those um, opportunities. And, uh, I mean, he did. He picked up his first one last night. So that was good to see. I mean, he, again, if you can go out and get outs and not give up any runs, that's what you want. I mean, yesterday he got the first save. He got one, uh, what, the previous uh, day two, I believe, did give up three or runs on two hits. So, I, I mean, you gonna you got to keep the ball in the ballpark if you're going to get closer. So, you know, again, he, he's, been, he's been around. He knows how to do it. Um, one thing I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked, and I guarantee I'm not the only one saying this, but, I mean, if they're serious about contending for this division and they're serious about contending in the playoffs, I'm sure a guy like Kimbrell's come up. I guarantee they've already reached out to his agent. I mean, he's, he's no stranger to Atlanta. He would fit perfectly in here. Now, I brought this up in a Reddit community earlier in the week, and I took some hits on it, and I, I, I really don't understand why, but now with the current – collective bargaining agreement if a team makes a qualifying offer to a player and they turn it down and should they decide to sign with another team that team would have to give up uh, a competitive balance uh, draft pick usually it's at the end of the first round end of the second round some, somewhere in there now there is a date I don't know exactly what date that was I was trying to look it up it's got to be coming up here maybe it's I don't know if it's June or May but there is a date where after that given date teams can sign players that had been given qualifying offers and not have to give up a draft pick. We all know how valuable draft picks are in any sport. Now, with Keichel available, with Kimbrell still available, guys like this, they're going to be hot commodities. A team like Atlanta that wants to compete and now they had their closer go down, they're going to want a veteran closer, one they can rely on day in and day out. Again, I don't know what that date is, but you could see them go after him earlier than that. Do they want to give up a draft pick? No. 
would they i'm sure they'll try to uh you know make ends meet with what they have in house but i mean once that once that, that deadline passes where you don't have to give up a draft pick for a, a player that was offered a qualifying offer i definitely can see them make a, a quick push for uh Kimbrel. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, you're weighing your options out, right? I mean, you're obviously going to lose the pick if you sign Kimber right now. On the reverse side of things, this is a team that, you know, it's not a small window, obviously, when you consider the recent long-term extensions of Albies and Asuna and how young they are. Uh, but it is a window that they want to be opening now. And right now this bullpen is closer to shambles than anything else. I mean, they're going to want to start putting some of these uh, – I think they're going to want to start doing what – uh, St. Louis did last year when they had Ponce de Leon and Hudson in the bullpen and start bringing up some of their young guys that aren't cutting it, uh, you know, in the top five of the rotation right now and start bringing those guys up as pen guys, especially late in the season if they can't figure this out or trade for it because they just need to find, you know, production. Uh, the number one name I even thought of, and I was pretty sure he was injured when I thought was Darren O'Day, and he's injured as well. So they really don't have any super solid arms necessarily uh, behind Mentor. And so, yeah, I, I think it comes down to how long they can stomach. Uh, if they can't get some of these guys to turn around, how long they can stomach some of these bullpen situations that uh, they've seen them, themselves be put in the last few days. Uh, we'll probably finish up with some of these pitchers right now. Uh, Freddie Peralta, shoulder, I, I believe uh, I read a report that said it was the SC joint, uh, and then Severino also shut down uh, for a little bit. Uh, I believe that's happened since the last time you and I talked. So uh, any comments, either or both, on the Luis Severino or Freddie Peralta injuries? Both extremely frustrating injuries because I, I mean they're very similar to. But like, here's the thing: now with Vizcaino, he's having surgery done for the season. Okay, you know the, you're, you're now you're planning to not have him at any point. You know you're not going to have him. even in fantasy. You're done. You get rid of him. Now the thing is though with these frustrating uh, excuse me frustrating injuries to Peralta and Severino is. You have these arms. More than likely, you could release Peralta. You can get away with that. But, uh, I mean, with someone to the quality of Severino, you don't want to just release him and have someone else go and pick him up. But at the same time, too, with all these injuries, you know, you could be eating up a bench spot because you only have X amount of injured list spots. So, again, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you have this player, but then, Again, you don't know what they're going to come back. And both of these injuries for Peralta with his SC joint, that's a, you know, where your trachea is, that's where your, your, uh, your uh, bones of your shoulder meet um, uh, into your, your – well, I should say your collarbone there where it meets by your trachea. So that's where you know, he injured that joint right there. So, again, what do you do with something like that? You have to have a lot of heal with time. There's nothing you can do except rest that. I mean, you, I mean if you break it, yeah, you go into surgery when you're broken collarbone. But, no, it's just sprain. Again, rest. Severino with the shoulder, again, rest. But you don't know. You just don't know when you're going to get him. And it sucks because, you know, you may end up holding on to a player like Severino all season. He may not come back. You don't know. Maybe he comes back for the playoff push for them, but that's not going to help you in fantasy baseball. So these injuries are frustrating. We don't know the severity of Severino's, but the fact that, you know, they had to shut him down for even longer, that that's never a good sign. But, you know, there is a player that we did talk about uh, earlier in the season with uh, Mike Soroka who, you know, was having a shoulder injury, and he finally came back and he pitched today. So, you know, again, they're frustrating because they're things that you just wait out. You don't know severity, but at least there is one player we did see come back in Soroka, but now it's just kind of a waiting game with Severino. 
Yeah, and then we'll uh, we'll flip over to the offensive side of things. Uh, not much of a, an update necessarily, but just because I feel like we need to touch on him every single time, uh, every single week, because of how high his draft stock was coming into the season. Uh, have you have you heard anything about Francisco Lindor, or do you have any feelings like you know the comebacks getting getting kind of close? He's getting close. Um, I, I know tomorrow they're supposed to uh, uh, reassess him again, but um, he played in a, uh, a rehab game for the Columbus Clippers last night, and he hit a home run. So, I, I mean, that's a great sign. So he is you know, he is playing in games now. He's running. So I, I'd imagine now they're just going to get him ready uh, to see uh, uh, major league pitching. You know, just get him back in the swing of things, get his timing down at, at the plate, you know, make sure there's no lingering issues there in, the, in, the, in that calf and ankle, and then, Sounds like he'll be uh, ready to go. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see him maybe by the at the earliest. Could we see him at the end of next week? Maybe. I mean, again, 25 years old. It's not like you know, it's not like we're talking about a, a 35 year old having to rehab. So we, I wouldn't be shocked if within the next week, uh, two weeks, we see him come off the injury list. We saw it with Clayton Kershaw come off this week. So I mean, that's that's another great sign. So finally, a lot of these high, high, high drafted players are starting to make their uh, a much-anticipated return. So I'd say within the next week or two, we should see Lindor finally uh, uh, playing some games with the Indians. Yeah, I agree with you, especially because, you know, they talked – if that ankle injury wouldn't have happened, obviously, I think we would have seen them before now because we talked a lot it, it, before the season started. And a lot of people talked about just how itching he was and how much he wanted to even push to make it to opening day. Now, obviously uh, we're a couple of weeks into the season, mostly because of that ankle issue. Uh, but I just looked up Eric Stamets just to get the numbers down. And I mean, this is what the Cleveland Indians, and no offense, but you know, this is what the Cleveland Indians have been playing for 48 plate appearances at shortstop, a .049 batting average, with a 149, or 149 OBP and an 073 slug. Uh, he struck out 24 times in his 48 plate appearances uh, for a 50% strikeout rate. Uh, so, you know, I mean, any shortstop in baseball would be better than that. Getting Francisco Lindor back in your lineup is obviously going to be just a huge boost uh, for these Cleveland Indians. Uh, and then the last major injury uh, that I want to talk about uh, is actually to, to Gene Segura on the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, now, the timetable for return right now looks fairly short. It looks like it's a short-term injury, but it also is a hamstring injury, I believe, which is a soft tissue injury. Uh, Gene Segura is a base dealer, or at least was drafted as a player who was supposed to steal you a, a number of bases. So a hamstring can also be uh, scary in that regard. So uh, do you have any, any feelings about this Gene Segura situation? Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, with that tissue injury like that, again, it's just going to be a waiting process. you got to let it heal. And, you know, with hamstrings too, when you play baseball, it's all quick. It's uh, fast-twitch muscles, whether you're playing infield or outfield you're at a stop position and then you're jolting as soon as you, you know, the contact of the bats made. Same thing. If you're stealing a base too, you're waiting to get your jump. So you're at a dead stop motion and then you're going fast switch injuries like that. into your hamstring, they got to heal because you can't have any kind of lingering effects because it can flare up again on you. And I mean, we see that in football constantly with running backs. Um, so again, but here, here's the thing though, Scott Kingery's filled in for him, gotten the at bats and, 
boy, has he really done well. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, you know, he, he, he's, he's flashed 480, 536, 880 so far with two home runs, 12 hits and 25 at-bats. That is great. You know, coming into the season, he's looking like the odd man out for position. So, you know, getting him those at-bats, you know he's confident. And, you know, here's the thing, too. We look at that. Kingery's filled in so far, done a phenomenal job. Just to hit back on what you said, too, talking about the Indians and what they've had filling at shortstop for Lindor hasn't been the same. That just speaks to having depth, having players, not only in your minor league system that you can call up, but ones that are already major league ready. And I, and I say that because you look at the Indians, too. Look at their outfield. I mean, it, it, it's a mess. And we talked about that prior to the season starting. They finally you know, called up Carlos Gonzalez. They're trying to do what they can. You've seen Cameron Ramirez on this team. No depth. When you're bringing in guys that are well, almost 40 years old, you're, you have issues. But the fact that, you know, an injury like this to the Phillies, they're able to bring up Kingery. He's only 24 years old. You know, and, uh, again, fresh fresh legs, young guy. He can get it done with the bat. He's always been able to get it done with the bat, you know, in the minor leagues too. So, uh, again, for a, a team like this that wants to compete – you're able to – obviously, no injury is good. You're not looking forward to it. But when you have that depth, it definitely does allow you to get through it, you know, uh, uh, better than a team that has absolutely no depth. And, and we are seeing that. King Reed has been that godsend filling in for Segura. Yeah, King has been off to a really strong start so far this season. I think what concerns me about what he did last year is that 126 strikeout to 24 walk ratio. I don't know if the Phillies really bought into the 2017 double-A sample when he went up to 8.8%. But this is also a guy who didn't necessarily walk a lot uh, in the minors. You know, a short sample, but only had a 3% walk rate uh, in 2016 and then a 4.5% uh, walk rate in 2018 in AAA. Um, you know, so far this season – his whiff percentage is actually almost the same as a strikeout percentage. And, and so I can't see that. That's the one number I would want him to improve on uh, to really start buying into something being sustainable, not just a little bit, but a lot. Uh, because last year he whiffed 13.6% of pitches, and that number is actually up to 14% of pitches. Uh, so that's something that I'd like to see him come down on a little bit. But I don't think there's any way that you can not spend it as a positive. When last year he had a home run, uh, I believe, for every 60 plate appearances. And so far this year he has a home run for every 14 plate appearances. So, you know, he's he's hitting more power. And, you know, even though it's only two home runs and it's only a few days, it, it's a guy that we haven't seen hit for a lot of power at this level yet. So that's obviously – uh, very encouraging. I would, though, again, like to see him either either take some walks or cut down that, that whiff percentage uh, a little bit. Uh, do you have anything to add on, on any either that or any of the other injuries uh, that might have come up before we uh, get on to some, some early season surprises? No, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to move on to the surprises. Good. So I think we'll probably go mostly uh, through position order. That's, that's how we have this document set up, and that seems to make the most sense. Uh, so we'll start off with first baseman, uh, probably first baseman first that uh, are not necessarily exceeding anybody's individual expectations, but exceeding ADP expectations. Uh, Cody Bellinger obviously was a highly drafted player, but he's played way over what anyone drafted him to be as he's been you know, one of the best players in the entire league so far, if not the best player 
uh, in the entire league so far uh, to start the season. Uh, on the reverse side of things, low drafted, but also been huge assets. Fantasy teams so far uh, have been Trey Mancini and Pete Alonzo. Now, Pete Alonzo obviously had a, a bit of a variable range based on when your draft was, and he would have been bumped up in a few drafts, uh, specifically some, some highly competitive drafts if you would have drafted uh, after he was announced as the everyday first baseman or, or making the 20-man roster. But he still wouldn't have probably been overdrafted and not nearly what he's uh, produced at uh, so far this season. Uh, Dan Vogelbach recently had uh, a surprise heat streak. Uh, any of these guys stick out uh, as particular talking points to you? Yeah, I, I mean, I like the adjustment that Cody Bellinger's made versus lefties. I think left-handed pitchers were, you know, sort of his kryptonite last season. I mean, he struck out nearly 30% of the time against lefties. And, I mean, looking at the splits this year, I mean, he's hitting – I mean, he's absolutely destroying right-handed pitchers. I mean, his batting average is near 500, and, you know, his slug is well over 1,000. But even versus left-handed pitching this year, I mean, he's just under a 300 average. I mean, if he gets one more hit off of a lefty, and one at bat, I mean, his average uh, skyrockets to 333. But, you know, for me, four strikeouts only, 21 at bats, I can live with that. I, I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, and, and say that's a cause for concern just because it's not a high number of at bats against lefties. If it was like 10 strikeouts and 21 at bats, that would be cause for concern. But, you know, he's looked good in, uh, uh, so far. And, you know, I, I think of that similar to, I know I bring it up a lot, but like, uh, Anthony Rizzo early on his first few years he did sort of struggle against left-handed hitting and you know people questioned will he be able to hit left-handed pitching well as time progressed he has shown the ability to be able to hit left-handed pitching I think that's what we're seeing with Bellinger too now he definitely took a a step in the right direction I I love what I've seen so far um now with um with uh Pete Alonzo, I mean, coming in, there was talks who's going to get that set up first, who's going to be a starting first baseman. He's just been absolutely phenomenal. Seeing his swing, very, very quick. The swing he has, now, it's short, and it is short and quick, honestly. Like, if you look at it, can he get long at times? Yeah. But, I mean, the trajectory of his swing, the way it is in the path of the ball, I mean, it's boom right to it. And the way he really gets his backside into his swing, and you almost see that that right knee uh, move forward and see that back foot coming off the ground. It's been a few years since we've seen something like that, and it really reminds me of Frank Thomas, like the power in his swing. You know, you really don't want to get off of your back foot when you're swinging, but, you know, when you're a big guy like that, like Alonzo is too, you're able to get away with it. So I, I've liked what I've seen from him, and, I mean, he really has been a, a catalyst for this uh, Mets offense. And it's, it's crazy because last year we saw – what uh, uh, Jacob DeGrom went through. I mean, he was getting absolutely no run support, no run support at all. But seeing Pete Alonso in this lineup, seeing another uh, other uh, additions, even seeing, you know, who, who I thought has been a, uh, a bright spot too that's helped is Wilson Ramos too. So uh, having guys like that, especially Pete Alonso in this lineup, has been awesome. And, I mean, with Vogelbach too, I like what i see seen from him. He is a low ball hitter. He really does like to get the ball low and bring it up. So it's going to be interesting uh, seeing uh, tonight's matchup against the Angels. If I'm not mistaken, that's who they get. Um, seeing him, now you're going to get a pitcher who likes to try to bring that fastball high, likes to throw a four-seamer high with absolutely no movement on it. He's going to try to do that. I think there are guys in this lineup that could take it out. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Bogelbach. Again, he's a low ball hitter. 
and that's what he likes. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if you see a, a flat fastball like that for him, we could see him uh, go yard again tonight. So now all three of those guys have been good. Now, did did you hit on Mancini? I I mentioned Mancini. Those were the four names I mentioned. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, on Mancini. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah, so Trey Mancini, I actually wrote an article uh, on him uh, uh, this past week. It came out this past Tuesday. I, I really I, – I was big on Mancini, his uh, his uh, rookie season, coming out of Notre Dame. The guy did hit for average. He showed power as well in the minors. Now, I, I feel like he took a little bit of regression last year. Now, he did uh, uh, score the same amount of home runs as he did his rookie year, but he was hitting the ball – on the ground way, way too much. And a first baseman slash outfielder like him that possesses absolutely no speed, it is a no-no. It is crucial to not hit the ball on the ground. So far, he's well below his career uh, averages in, in, in ground ball rate. You're seeing more, uh, getting uh, more fly balls from him. One thing I did want to point out, he's off to a hot start, but he has an absolutely pull happy. He's been extremely reluctant to hit the ball the other way. He does have a home run the opposite way. But um, as pitchers start to catch on, you see more uh, teams plan for him. I get you're not expecting much out of the Orioles, but him and VR have been just dynamite for this team. So seeing him, once they start uh, pitching him outside more, I'd like to see him use the opposite part of the play, or excuse me, field and, and hit more shots towards right field. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. But, I mean, so far, so good. He's keeping the, he's keeping the ball off the ground which is a key for him. And, I mean, right now, uh, seeing where, you, where he was drafted, I mean, he, he's right now where his ranking is, he's well above his, his mid to late round uh, uh, draft ADP. Yeah, you know, he, he started off in that 2017 season hitting 293 with 24 home runs. Uh, and obviously with that 293, that, that's really solid. But but like you said, 51% of his balls in play were on the ground. And then when he went into the next year, he did compete his 24 home runs, but he couldn't quite repeat the batting average of the Babbitt. Um, he's a guy that I, I think could have been better than the 242 coming into the season, but I wasn't necessarily sure until he made the adjustment uh, if he could hit for more power. And so far it looks like he has made made uh, the adjustment or at least is trying to make the adjustment to hit more of those pulled fly balls. Um, and I, I, I do have concerns whenever a player pulls the ball too, too much. Um, but I think what he's doing right now is uh, manageable in the sense that I think it creates a, the potential for a player that has higher upside than what we've seen in the past. Really everything in his batting batted ball profile looks the same other than the fact that it seems that he's, you know, trying to pull more pitches. Uh, and I think that's the, the right way for him to go about it, you know. Uh, still needs to take those balls the other way, especially when they're in the strike zone uh, so that he can't let pitchers abuse them. But, but when he gets those pitches that he's waiting for, uh, the pitches that he can do damage on, he tries harder to do uh, that damage. And so that's what I've been encouraged by so far. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, Wilson Ramos alongside uh, the Pete Alonso. Wilson Ramos has been easily the best acquisition the Mets have made because, you know, this team's hitting pretty well uh, at a few places in their lineup. Jeff McNeil over 400. Uh, Pete Alonso has been absolutely tearing uh, the cover off the ball. And, and Wilson Ramos has been doing pretty well. Um, but, you know, not, not many of those players have been their acquisitions breaking out so much as the, the players that have been uh, coming up through their organization other than uh, Wilson Ramos. You know, uh, Dan Vogelbach's a player that I'm more just waiting on because I, I can't necessarily – it's not that I don't believe that he'll uh, be a strong player moving forward, uh, more so that I haven't seen 
I think the things that I need to see yet to believe it going forward. I think I think most of the home runs he's hit so far have been on fastballs, and also I I don't know. You know, he's hot right now, or at least he was. I think he actually might be in a little bit of a cold funk right now. Uh, but I don't know how committed Seattle is going to be uh, to consistently playing him. You know, they have Encarnacion, uh, who's definitely going to be more of a mainstay, uh, at least until they get him shipped off, which at least was their initial goal. Uh, I don't know if their home run streak changed that. But um, moving on to the underperformers, uh, these are players that are not necessarily been terrible uh, in, in Goldie and Freeman, but they have been outside the top 10, or at least when I took this. Uh, Rizzo's off to a bit of a slow start. Uh, these guys haven't been terrible yet, and I don't think it personally that there's any concern, though, though maybe you disagree. Um, but is there anybody here or, or anybody else in the first base uh, pool that surprised you with negative performance? Uh, Jesus Aguilar is a name that could be thrown out. Uh, I mean, if if you look at it, too, uh, I mean, the power has been there for Goldie. Uh, I mean, to be completely honest with you. And, I mean, last season was another slow start for him. And, I mean, he did have that three-home run game uh, uh, two Fridays ago. So, I mean, the power is there. I think a lot of these hits that aren't finding, you know, finding finding the grass will eventually uh, get there. So, it's something like that. Even with Rizzo, too, I think it is a lot of bad luck on that. Some of his balls just really not getting uh, squaring up. But, I mean, it's only a matter of time between all three of these guys. It's just a matter of time here before they really meet one and, and send it far. So, you know, again, early struggles. Aguilar, he is a very, very interesting one. I'm glad you you, you hit on uh, uh, Aguilar because, you know, if you look at it, I mean, he has yet to hit a home run this season. You look at his average, it's been horrendous. You're talking about an all-star from a year ago. But, I mean, looking at his numbers, when we think of, oh, a guy's struggling, a guy's struggling, we're like, oh, he's got to be striking out a lot. There's no way he's not. I mean, he only has 12 strikeouts and 54 at-bats. So, I mean, a lot of this, I've seen some of his at-bats early on. And just looking at it, too, a lot of it's just bad luck. I mean, he has barreled up some balls. And, and I mean, outfielders are just making good plays. Infielders are making good plays. So, with him, it's a lot of bad luck. I do know there have been frustrated people that are like, oh, should I drop him? Should I get rid of him? Should I try to trade him? Look at it. I mean, the guy's powerful. We know what he can do. Again, it's not like he's striking out at a high clip. That's not the case. Right now, it's a lot of bad luck. We've seen this. I wrote articles on it last year and the year before, a guy like Jose Abreu before. I mean, he's getting a little bit older, but even even his first few years, he, other than his rookie year, he was a historically slow starter. And then once it started to warm up, he started to warm up. And I, I think that's going to be the case. I, I think it's only a matter of time. I, I really believe a hitter like Aguilar with the power that he has and playing with this offense, I bet you once he gets that first home run, it's going to be a sigh of relief, and then he's going to get going from there. And, again, he just needs a little bit of luck to go his way. Yeah, I definitely agree because, you know, I, I came into the preseason as someone who is low on Aguilar, but that more had to do with his ADP, which I believe was somewhere in the 70 uh, to 80 range. Uh, because honestly, as, as the full talent, I don't have a huge problem with Aguilar. Uh, and I think especially so far this season, he has been uh, unlucky, especially on his balls in play. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that he, obviously you can't 
call luck on home runs, but but I think there's a strong argument here that he should be hitting uh, for a higher batting average. My problem with Aguilar is that his numbers have been strong against fastball types uh, and a bit weaker against off-speed and breaking pitches, and I think he's going to continue to see more of those pitches. But more so, I think my problem is the the depth of the Milwaukee Brewers infield and the willingness that they've shown year after year uh, to move on and to, you know, change up roles. My specific worry, and this is a little bit down the line, but even right now there's a little bit of a fear with a potential platoon with Eric Thames in the line, uh, you know, lying on the bench. But uh, down the road there's a decent chance that even a Keston Hiera is going to come up uh, and add to the infield mix. And, and once that happens, I'm really worried about the fact that Thames, Shaw, and Muskis are all left-handers. So I'm more, I'm, I'm more worried that the level that Jesus Aguilar has to play at is so high to continue uh, to get everyday playing time, uh, more so than that this, this, this struggling that he's having right now uh, is, is fully legitimate. But uh, we'll move on to the second base position. Uh, a couple of second basemen stick out right away. Uh, D. Gordon, despite batting ninth uh, in a lot of games this season, uh, has been as high as number one on the player radar this year. Uh, Colton Wong had, had a bit of a hot start. We covered uh, Yuan Moncada quite a bit a couple weeks ago. Uh, Brandon Lowe actually is someone that I myself did uh, a bit of covering today because, you know, he's off to a strong start in, in the home runs and the stolen bases five home runs, two stolen bases. Um, but his, his swing and miss is sitting at about 19.9% for his swing strike rate. Uh, his K rate is over 30%. And so both those numbers are a little concerning. Uh, and when I dug deeper, I, I think the thing that I want to put some attention on uh, is the combination of his O contact and his pull percentage. Uh, now, his O contact is actually something that I don't, look at uh, closely too often, but his is very well. Uh, O contact is the contact that you make on pitches that aren't in the strike zone. Uh, And and for Brandon Lowe, that number is slightly under 40%. For a reference point, the lowest qualified hitter in baseball uh, was at about 44.5% last year. So he's making worse contact on pitches not in the strike zone than pretty much any qualified hitter in baseball. Now, it's a small sample, but what also concerned me was that the fact that he had like a 39.5% rate last year and a 39.8% rate this year. So while both samples are small, they are very consistent uh, within each other. So I would like to see him make better contact on those pitches off the plate. And why I tie pull percentage into this is that he is a pull-happy hitter. Uh, his 55% rate this year is really astronomical. I mean, you know, it's about 4% higher than the league leader last year. Um, and then if you, you pull his whole career together, that rate is about 88 to 90th uh, percentile among qualified hitters. Uh, so when I see a guy that's pulling the ball a lot and failing to make contact with pitches out, outside of the strike zone, uh, what concerns me is that, uh, he's got a limited swing, so to speak, in what he's reaching right now, uh, plate coverage, so to speak. Uh, and, and that's what I'm worried about with Brandon Lowe, though I do think the power and the speed he's showcasing early uh, show that, you know, if you got him at his normal ADP, you're not being worried by this. You're just not necessarily as happy if you feel the way I do about the strong start. But I think there's a lot of upside here. Um, any second baseman that, 
that draw your interest? I I, I was blow too, and I, I thought you brought up a good point too about you know making contact, especially if they're pitching them on the outside. A, a, a player that tends to uh, pull more balls. I mean, you, you got to think about it too. More than likely, he's going to try to open up his hips early to really get around that ball. Well, the thing is, if you throw a slider on the outside part of the plate, by the time that your hips swing open, you're not going to be able to get that barrel on the ball, and more than likely, you're just going to sw- you're, you're going to whiff completely on it. So, I, and I mean, and once that that it, that comes out, teams will go after it. And you got to remember too, looking at the power. Does he? Have, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he had a phenomenal spring. I know we're not putting too much stock into it, but he did raise eyebrows. And one thing to pay attention to is, you know, you, you talked about that, and we are seeing it. And you got to remember too, he's hit five home runs: one against Baltimore, two against Toronto, one against the White Sox, one against a struggling Colorado team. So it's not like he is doing damage against bad teams, but. You know, he's only played two divisional teams in Toronto and Baltimore. But what's going to happen if he faces the Yankees team? You see some of these bullpen arms come out. I understand the Red Sox have struggled. But the thing is, as the season progresses, he will play teams that aren't bottom feeders like Toronto or Baltimore for that case. And, I mean, you're going to see he did face Houston. So he did face one, you know, one dynamite team. And you look, too, that, that second game that he got in the season, he struck out three times in the game. So, you know, he, he does show that ability to strike out, like you mentioned, too. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see as he, he uh, faces uh, um, upper echelon pitchers, if you will. He's just top-tier pitchers. I think a lot of uh, the damage he's done has been against not only struggling pitchers, but ones that, you know, really aren't in the realm of maybe even ones that you're not going to even see rostered on fantasy teams. So uh, I, I, there will be adjustments made. And, but, I mean, so far what we've seen, we have to like. But, I mean, there is going to be some regression. I mean, it's just going to be like that. Pitchers will um, make adjustments, and then in turn he'll have to adjust. So um, early on, too, I, I mean, like you hit the nail on the head, too. I thought for sure, uh, you know who I really have, have, have liked seeing this year? I, I mean, I, I think – for a team, I talked about it again with Baltimore, for a, a team that we don't expect a lot of. I, I really like what I've been able to get out of Jonathan VR. I feel like he's, you know, he, he's slipped by in a lot of um, – I do a lot of keeper leagues. I feel like a lot of people were passing on him. So I went ahead and, you know, grabbed him when I can. And, and, and so far, so good. I mean, a little concerned with strikeouts here and there. But, I mean, a guy that's hitting at the top of the order, you're going to get at-bats out of him. So far, we've seen three home runs. He only had eight last year, six prior before. But, you know, in 2018, he really put it together with 14 home runs. And, and how many stolen bases did he have that year? He had, what, 35? So he's got three already. So, you know, I feel he could be a good uh, a good addition. I do like the fact that he's a switch hitter, too. So it gives you uh, a lot of opportunities for him. And he's playing for a bad team. So you never have to worry about him ever being out of that lineup. He's going to get every opportunity. So, you know, he's done it before. He does have a track record. Uh, again, you're probably not going to see a crazy average on him, but if you can get on base and, you know, and keep doing it and can be a nice source of stolen bases, uh, I mean, I, I think he's been pretty solid early on. Yeah, and then on the on the negative side of things, you know, they're not necessarily having bad seasons uh by any respect, uh, but at, la- at my last check, both of these guys were outside of the top ten and were not drafted outside of the top ten uh, in the young and highly talented duo of Ozzy Albies and Gleyber Torres. Now, especially in Albies' uh, case, he's showing the ability 
to contribute across all five categories. He has a 289 batting average. He's hit a pair of home runs. He's stolen three bases. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, uh, I feel like he might, he especially might be slightly miscast uh, in this regard so far. Uh, but Gleyber Torres, uh, 269 batting average, not necessarily quite what you looked for uh, in zero stolen bases. Most of what he's contributed uh, are in regards to the home runs, though he's also had a bit of bad luck, uh, I would say, because, you know, four home runs with seven RBIs, you know, part of the Yankees lineup being bad it is all the, those injuries, or at least part of potentially the RBI number, but you usually expect to see more than seven RBIs uh, when a guy already has four home runs in the season. Uh, do these guys have any concerns to you, or, or is there any uh, underperforming or, or any other second baseman that you, you'd like to throw out? For as high as everyone was on Gleyber Torres, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, too. I mean, it, it's hard to, you know, be uh, to produce high numbers when if you're hitting a long ball and there's no one on base, so... You know, these injuries for the Yankees so far have definitely, you know, hampered them. You're seeing guys get called up that you were not expecting to get called up. And I, I thought I'd, you know, I'm going to get to them. I see if he's on the list. No, I, I will get to them later. But, yeah, so, I mean, early on, a little bit, uh, Aldi's is starting to, to put it together a little bit. He has shown struggles, but he's also shown that, you know, he can do it. So, you know, both of those guys I'm really not worried. So, it's just going to be, uh, you know, a little blips here and there, but again, really two weeks in. Yeah, and then uh, transitioning to the third base position, uh, we've seen uh, Anthony Rendon. I don't know if this is necessarily the right place for him, but he's been spe- uh, spectacular in the same way or near the same way uh, that Cody Bellinger has been spectacular. Uh, he's currently third in OPS uh, with a 1265 figure. Um, Tim Beckham had obviously the very hot start of the year. Uh, mentioned him briefly on the second base, but Juan Moncada also uh, is listed among third basemen. Uh, Matt Chapman's been off to a pretty strong start. Uh, Michael Franco has been a bit boom or bust on, on a game-to-game basis, hitting some home runs. But uh, any of these third basemen stick out to you? I mean, we we really. You know, hit the nail on the head the past few weeks with Moncada. I mean, he's been awfully good. But like you said with Rendon, too, I feel like when Bryce Harper was out there, he he, he kind of overshadowed what Rendon can do. But, I mean, he's always been an awfully talented guy. I mean, when he gets that playing time, he gets those at-bats and stays healthy, you know, he's always been a solid hitter ever since he was called up, too. And, uh, I mean, his, 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 I mean, if you look at it too, his career batting average just under 290, and his OVP in his career is 363. Now, I, I get a little inflated with the hot start from this year, but I mean, the guy does get on base. That's what he does. Now, he's probably not going to offer a whole lot in the stolen base department, but the guy does have power. And with this team too, I wouldn't be shocked if we see him the next few years. Definitely, you know, uh, uh, do what he did uh, last year and the year prior to that. 92 RBIs, 100 RBIs. They're going to need it. This team. Right now, they have shown struggles at times. They got to get on base. If they can get on base and have you know and have runners on when Rendon gets up or Juan Soto gets up, you know it, it's going to give them a lot of opportunity. So I'm I'm glad to see that you know Ren, Rendon is not only just the veteran on this team too, but you know I mean he's one of their main guys, and, and they're going to expect a lot of them hitting in the middle of that lineup. So you know that that is definitely something I'd like to see. Um, yeah. 
Yes, yes. So no, that's all I, I wanted to show, uh, say on Rendon. No, you're good. Um, do you have any thoughts on Hunter Dozier? I was looking to try to pull up uh, my notes on him. I, I've seen a lot of hype on him recently. Uh, I know Eno Saris of The Athletic is planning on releasing a piece, I believe, uh, tomorrow. I'm a little bit skeptical of some aspects of this breakout, specifically the fact um, that what a lot of this breakout, I think, is based on that p- some people are getting into it uh, for Hunter Dozier as he's had a few strong games here, uh, is that his, his Z contact and his contact numbers are very high overall. They, they've had a, a pretty big uh, jump into to some elite tiers. Um, my concern is that he's still whiffing on sliders a good amount. So I'm, I'm curious to, to see uh, if he maybe hasn't played as many good right-handed slider throwers yet uh, or if, if we'll see him struggle uh, as he does. Uh, have, you, have you caught any glimpses uh, of Hunter Dozier this year yet? Um, you know, he's had bad plate discipline in the past or at least not shown a great KBB. He's showing a great KBB now, but I'm not necessarily buying into it quite yet. And I think if I can buy into him being a selective hitter, uh, I think that can change my opinion of him pretty quick. But uh, any thoughts on Hunter Dozier? Yeah, no, I, I, he's always in the minor leagues. I mean, he was a high-power guy, strikeouts, yeah, you know, those will happen. But, I mean, early on in the season, too, you know, looking at the numbers and the advanced uh, metrics on it, I mean, when it comes to exit velocity, too, he, he's up there with some of the top players and some top names that you really wouldn't expect. So, with him, he does show that ability to barrel the ball. Um, he does have a high uh, – um, with his uh, – his swing and his long tangle, he's up there with some of the, the top as well. I mean, we, we talked about a, a guy like Dan Vogelbach. He's more around that, like, 17 angle range. But, like, Dozier gets around that 22, 24. So, you know, he's looking to make contact. He's looking to get the ball in the air, and he's looking to drive it. Again, like you said, those strikeouts definitely could be a concern. So far, I, I feel like he's been able to keep that in check. I mean, you're talking about 12 strikeouts to 57 at best. That's not bad. And you look at his OBP. I don't think you're going to see him stay around that OBP range of 400. I think that's surely to come down. You know, I could see him maybe in the low 315, 320 at the high end. The batting average, I'm shocked it's as high as it is. But, yeah, I mean, he did get on a hot streak. And I think at times we can see numbers that are kind of outliers like that just because of the fact early on, you know, if you just string a couple of good games together, you can see your batting average shoot through the roof. I, I mean, I was talking about that with Cody Bellinger. He just needs he, – he's hitting 286 against lefties. So if he gets if he goes one for one against his next lefty, he's hitting 333. So, again, those are the outliers there, those little minute details that we need to pay attention to. But, I mean, so far, so good. With Hunter Dozier, still, he still has that 30, 35 home run potential. But, again, the strikeouts are going to be a concern. Now, I don't think you're going to see him – in that 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 strikeout uh, um, range of like a Joey Gallo, where it's either home run or nothing, you know, I don't think we're going to see that. But I mean, he does have good exit velocity. What that tells me is, when he hits the ball, he's not getting cheated. He makes good contact. He has great bat speed. So uh, I mean, he's a player that you know, in, in a lot of leagues, he's still available. And, and the thing is, too, especially for fantasy baseball, uh, I mean, a guy like that, you don't necessarily. Yeah, I think we get enamored with guys where we grab them like, oh, we want to, we want to, we want to keep them forever and forever. Right? If you're seeing a guy that's on a power surge right now, 
grab him and hold on to him. And the thing is, too, with Kansas City, he's going to get the playing time. No one's really there to threaten any of his playing time. And I mean, he's 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 well overdue to get the call. I mean, he was ready to get called up years ago when they had Eric Hosmer still playing there, too. I mean, uh, and he could have gone to third base, but they had Moustakis. So, I mean, right now, right them all hot. Those numbers are going to come down. Again, like you said, once you see him against a, a really good uh, pitcher with a good slider, you know, and they can get it, especially I want to see what he does against a good left, uh, a slider from a left-hand pitcher that's going to try to throw towards that bat and see how he handles it. But just ride the hot wave right now. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to this third-base position, it's the most defined by, you know, maybe not a ton of talking points for who's breaking out, but we have had uh, some slow starts. Now, I will say – I think all three of these guys uh, have warmed up quite a bit uh, in Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado, and Eugenio Suarez, and have moved up uh, even in these last couple of days to make up for some of their slow starts. You know, Suarez is the only one, I think, that uh, is even still lagging behind the most or probably generates the most fear. And there are some, I think, scary things in his numbers, but, but as a whole, he is batting uh, 250 with a 371 OBP and a 481 slugging percentage now, and he has that that OPS back up around 852. So you know, I think I think all three of these guys are starting to come around. Uh, but but any any thoughts on the somewhat underperformance we've gotten so far this year uh, out of Bregman, Arenado, and Suarez? Yeah, I mean Bregman's going to come around. Suarez started slow last season. I thought the most interesting one was Nolan Arenado, but then, I mean, if you look at it, too, and look at Colorado, I mean, they've had a pretty slow start to the season, you know, especially after their tour last year. But, I mean, look at Arenado. He struggled, but he is coming around. He really has started to come around. He's feeling good. So, and the thing is, once he starts going, I don't think there's any stopping him. But even a guy like Charlie Blackman has, has slowed, uh, started off slow, too. But, you know, I, I'm not worried about Arenado. I mean, they're finally getting David Dahl back off the injury list. They're getting Ryan McMahon off the injury list. Both of them are in the lineup tonight. So I think this could be a jolt. And and that's the thing, too. I mean, a lot of times when teams are struggling, you see, you know, you do see major injuries, uh, not to those players, but to other uh, players on other positions. So I think, you know, it's going to help the clubhouse to the morale, getting all these guys healthy. Aaron Adams starting to skyrocket. I had him in uh, multiple DFS lineups tonight. So, you know, I'm a, he's finally coming around. Again, Bregman, we know what he can do. It's only a matter of time for him. And, and Suarez. Again, he started slow last year, and, and I, I really – I mean, even Cincinnati, they've shown at times that they do struggle too. I mean, Yasiel Puig finally just – was it was it this week that he had his first home run, if I'm not mistaken? It was last week, one of the weeks. So, I mean, they're, they're just – they're going to need the entire team to get going, and it's just a slow start. And, you know, we do forget that we're only two weeks in. Yeah, there's actually a, a very recent uh, – I know this is the second time I've brought him up in pretty close succession, but uh, Eno Saris, I know, just recently published an article with The Athletic uh, that has to do uh, with pressing and, and what it means to be pressing, uh, you know, being being overly aggressive and how a lot of these players that have switched teams, like Yasiel Puig, was his, his major case of pressing that he showed. Uh, but he also uh, managed uh, – happened to point out that four of the biggest pressers, I believe, in the top 20 of the sport are all on the Cincinnati Reds. Pretty high expectations for the team. Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily believe they could go worse to first, especially with a rotation that isn't great still. But I believe that in, in their offense, they had 
you know, the makeup of a team that could theoretically challenge some, some guys and, and make a wild card run at it. And maybe that got into their heads and they're just, you know, they're just going after pitches early and instead of waiting uh, for their pitch to come to them. At least that that's one particular theory. And I, I think this Reds offense settles in because I had really high expectations for them. And, you know, I don't know how many home and road games they've had, um, but I know Cincinnati – might not be the warmest city consistently uh, yet to to start the year either. Uh, but we'll move on to the shortstop position. Um, Tim Anderson, who was a bit of a subject of a small bit of controversy yesterday after he had a bat flip and got pegged uh, by Brad Keller after a home run. Um, Tim Beckham also qualifies on this list. Uh, Freddie Galvis at one point was doing uh, pretty well in terms of these rankings and, and, bats towards the top if there's something that you think there might be there um, you know personally I, I don't know if I'd get Freddie Galvis in any league that doesn't give me some credit for for what a great glove he has uh, one guy that particularly spikes my interest just in this this former top 10 list is Paul DeJong um, I think Paul DeJong was a little bit slept on in the preseason even even by myself I think and I started feeling that uh, you know, as we got really close to the season, specifically when it became very clear that he had a pretty strong hold on the number three spot in the St. Louis batting order. Um, because, you know, I mean, he's batting behind Paul Goldschmidt uh, in front of Marcelo Zuna. Uh, they've already given him a contract extension, I believe. He, he's locked up long term. So this is a player that the St. Louis Cardinals continue to show an excessive amount of faith in. Um, and he, he might not have the most perfect, well-rounded skill set that we like to see in our 5x5 five five leagues, but what he does provide you is power, some rare power from the middle infield position, and with that third batting spot, power that's likely uh, to come with the potential for a high runs plus RBI total. Um, there's also Jorge Polanco, who I'll, who I'll talk about in a minute, but before I get to him, any of these shortstops stick out to you? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the ones you talked about. I, I, I think uh, Alberto Mondesi, too. I, I mean, for him, what he can do with the bat and what he can do with his wheels, too. I mean, we haven't even seen what he can be. I, I mean, I don't see why over time with his size and as he you know starts to grow and add muscle, there's no reason why I don't think he couldn't be a 30-30 guy, too. And one of the, you know, for for the things I said about Kansas City struggling, but I do, I really like what they drafted, you know, in, in some of their young arms this past season. But having Adalberto uh, Mondesi, he is a bright spot for this team. Now, whether or not he stays at shortstop, I don't know. I can see him moving more towards third base if he adds a lot of muscle, you know, and really grows into his body. But, I mean, I think he's been a bright spot. And I, I think he's, he's headed to be an absolute star in the league. So, you know, I, I like what we've seen from him. Um, again, Alice Andrews, too, boy, has he been off to a hot start. So I, I like that. With the young, too, I just want to hit on, too, he does bring power, which I love. But the thing that scares me is that strikeout rate. I mean, he, he's kept it in, in check for the most part. But, I mean, throughout his career, he's almost been around 30% each season. So, you know, if he can keep that in check, too, I, I, I mean, the sky's the limit. He's young, too, at 25. So I like what I've seen. I mean, so far, that batting average, that OBP, 407, love it. Absolutely love that. And he's OPS over 1,000. So, you know, I mean, those are definitely good players, and they're starting off well. But for me on this list, I just, Adelbert Mondesi, I, I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. I, I'm really excited to see what kind of player he develops into. 
Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Alberto Mondesi is such a complete physical freak. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he has some of the highest rated tools, I think, uh, that you would, you would give a player, you know, he's so, so fast, so, so powerful, but I, I think I still, I still want to see him make better contact and, and start to make strides in his approach at the plate. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a big approach guy and I just, I just want to see that cave to BB just look normal because, you know, right now, I think he can be one, but right now, if he continues to do what he's doing, he's a freaking unicorn. You know, he, he's a player that, that doesn't fit any any mold that we have. You know, incredible power, incredible speed, but also incredible. You know, he, he whiffs like Joey Gallo whiffs to to an extent. Um, you know, when you when you take into account that that swinging aggressively uh, factors into that whiff percentage, it's not a completely fair statement in terms of his contact. But, uh, you know, as he swings more and more aggressively and misses more and more pitches, he's whiffing more than, than Joey Gallo, at least, uh, in terms of last year. So it'll be interesting to see how much the incredible upside tools uh, play in with this plate discipline. The, the number one shortstop I, I keep feeling like I have to talk about uh, is Jorge Polanco because, you know, this is a player that I had ranked number 90 in the preseason. Uh, his ADP was around 230, so that was already – you know, a huge jump for me uh, to put him that high. And all I've seen so far this year convinces me that I might have been too low because I absolutely love what Jorge Polanco is doing so far this year. And I don't know if it's, it's the lack of stolen bases or the surprising lack of counting stats to go with it, but I feel like I haven't heard very much about Jorge Polanco, which is absolutely ridiculous because he's currently fourth in OPS. He's behind... Cody Bellinger, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, and he's ahead of Christian Yelich. He he has three home runs, three triples, and I believe three or four doubles. Um, but besides that fact, he going into the today's game, which wasn't over, he was slashing four twenty nine, four eighty four, seven sixty eight. Um, and I think there's some really low key skills that I think people are are kind of sleeping on when it comes to Jorge Polanco. First off. I think his eye is very, very underrated. Um, and I think a lot of people will debate me on that because his career walk rate was seven is 7.5% or it was the last two years. But when I watched film, especially uh, film uh, last season of Jorge Flanco, I, I saw a hitter that I felt was a very good judge of pitches. Uh, so far this year, I feel like since he had that hot start, specifically going back, you know, through this last week, I feel like in the last few games he's been getting less and less pitches to hit, and he's been taking more and more walks. His walk rate has actually elevated uh, up over 10%. Uh, that goes along with a 15.9% K rate. So his, you know, seven walks to 11 strikeouts. It's very nice to see for a hitter. You know, he's already got 1.3 war so far this year, which is actually pretty incredible. Um, but specifically – what I think what he's doing is he's got a very good natural hand-eye coordination. He's got a very, very quick wrist. Uh, specifically, he's killing 95-mile-per-hour pitches. At one point this year, he had uh, the highest OPS. He might still have it, the highest OPS against pitches that are 95-plus miles an hour. You know, I watched the entire game he played today, and he struggled against Clay Buckholz, I think, because Clay Buckholz surprised him when he junk-balled him and didn't give him anything to hit. I saw him get one challenge fastball all day, and it was from Ken Giles, and he came about three feet of the foul pole of hitting a home run when he got that one challenge fastball all day. 
And why I like him coming into the season is because he used the opposite field a lot last year. He hasn't really done that this year. And so I think what that tells me is that he's a, he's a hitter that's saying to himself right now, I have the contact, I have the eye, I know what I'm looking for, and now I'm just going to try to hit the willies out of the ball. Uh, and I think as hitters adjust to him, I think he'll be able to you know, a, a adjust back and be able to use the opposite field enough. He, he's only 25 years old. He, he's a player, and I, I find try to find different ways to describe it, but it's like I say that I like him, and a lot of people say like, yeah, I do too. He, he's a nice little player. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I think this guy has – some very legitimate upside. I think people are sleeping on how real this power might be because, I mean, he has been scolding the ball so far, and he's absolutely been refusing to hit ground balls. Um, he did have one today, but coming into today's game, he had a 17.8% ground ball rate, and that includes two bunts, both of which he got hits on. Uh, he hit his seventh ground ball coming uh, today. He has, I believe, 34 fly balls plus line drives that were medium or hard hit, not even including the soft ones. So Jorge Polanco, to me, is a player who's, who's in the midst of a, a complete and total breakout right now. Uh, I, I think people are sleeping on just how good he's been to start the season. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the Twins. I don't know if it's the fact that there's a lot of Jorge's and a few Polanco's out there that makes his name a little ununique. My friend threw that out the other day. Um, but one way or the other, this guy's got an over 1,200 OPS right now with seven walks and 11 strikeouts. And, and I think we're, we're on, on the precipice of something really strong. And I, I've been recommending dynasty owners go out uh, and overpay for him right now because I think he's uh, a very strong long-term asset. Real quick, though, before we leave that shortstop position, now I, I got a question for you. One guy we didn't talk about that, I, I mean, I don't think we can switch positions without talking about it, Tatis Jr. out there in San Diego. I mean, what he's done has been phenomenal. I mean, throughout the history of the game, the home runs he has right now is he's the quickest to that amount at his age. He's the youngest to ever reach that five home runs, which is it's pretty crazy to think. Now, the thing with him is the numbers look good. I mean, the OPS is good. Bang average, OBD is solid. He does his strikeouts again. He's at a 34% clip. You know, it's a little high, but you got to remember, too, he's 20 years old, and he's, he's learning on the fly. I mean, he, he, he truly is. My question for you, you see the player he is. You see what he's going to uh, turn into, the size, the frame, the arm, the power. When you hear the ball come off the bat, it's the sound that you know. I mean, there's, there's two sounds. When you hear the ball come off the bat like that, when someone squares it up, it, it doesn't sound like anything else. It's almost like someone when they're when they're hitting a, a golf ball off the tee. When they square it up correctly, you know that ping, even with the wooden bat, that that crack, you know. But the 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 um, the uh, contracts that we saw the White Sox give Jimenez, we saw the Braves give to Albies, Acuna Jr. Whether or not it's good for the game, bad for the game, I, I don't want to talk about that aspect of it. Do you see? the Padres following suit in trying to lock him up uh, long-term as soon as possible? Especially, one thing I want to add, though, too, they spend a lot of money on Machado. So if they can get Tatis to sign for what we just saw with Jimenez, Albies, and Acuna, you think they're going to try that with Tatis? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I think, for one, the, the one thing I think I can 
put point out is that we don't know what what situation some of these players are in, right? Like my my buddy pointed out to me the other day, Vlad Guerrero Jr. might never take a contract until he hits free agency because I mean I don't know, but I would assume Vlad Guerrero has a decent amount of money and he's okay. Um, so you know Fernando Tatis Jr. I, I think they have to go after him right away because you know it's not just a Machado deal. It, I mean the money's going to expire a little bit earlier, but I mean they're paying Hosmer a lot of money. Uh, you're, you're always going to have guys that you're going to come up over the horizon. Um, and you don't know how this potential collective bargaining agreement could change in 2021. So, you know, I, I think if I have the opportunity and if I can get that figure, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's three levels in, in the conversation that we had here, the Albies level, the Jimenez level, and the Asuna level, Acuna level, because I think all three are different. Um, I don't think he would take the Albies level necessarily. I mean, I, I, but I didn't think Albies would take the Albies level, but that's a different conversation. But I think if, if I'm the Padres and I can get him anywhere close to just a little bit higher because he is 20 as opposed to like 23 uh, to what Eloy Jimenez signed, I'd be very happy with that. I would be nervous about going up to nine figures uh, on, on a player this young, but at the same time, if I could get him between 90 and a hundred, I, I think I could potentially do that. But yeah, again, that Jimenez figure plus a little bit more because he's younger uh, is what I would try to get. Uh, and maybe even be a little bit more aggressive with it. You know, it all depends on how, how I personally see the player. But but personally, if I'm the Padres, I do what I can can to get him on the left side of my infield forever with Manny Machado. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, talking about the Aldi's thing, I, I mean, I, there, there's no money. It's not front-loaded. It's not this. It's not that. There's no signing bonus. It's just here's the contract. But, yeah, that, that was definitely interesting. But, no, I, I mean, with the CBA, too, and, and like you said, too, I mean, they have a lot of money tied into um, uh, tied into Machado, Hosmer, who is still a head-scratcher because uh, I, I think he's one one of the more overrated players, if you even want to consider that anymore. But, no, I mean, if they can get him for a deal and getting him, get him under a contract as soon as possible, you know, and eat up some of that uh, arbitration time and, you know, really not have to fork out $300 million one day to him, I mean, yeah, everyone's going to start going to that. So I, I think we definitely saw a precedent uh, in, in Major League Baseball. So, no, I agree 100%. Yeah, you know, I think for the Padres and for Tatis Jr., if that's the route they want to go, I think the the timeline that makes the most sense for Tatis Jr. is probably the Acuna timeline um, because right now he's off to a strong start. Um, but, you know, th- this year ha- has a high variability in-, in what he could potentially earn. And if he can have uh, an Acuna-esque year uh, in terms of, uh, of benefiting war, of benefiting the team, uh, I think that he could get that type of contract. You know, the reason I don't think he can get it right now is obviously because you know, he's the same caliber of player and has had an incredible season when he got that contract. So I feel like for Tatis Jr. to get more than Ronald Osuna uh, would be, you know, not likely in the market. But then again, you know, who knows what A.J. Preller can can get this ownership uh, to pull off. Uh, uh, We'll move on to the outfield. Obviously quite a bit more names here. Uh, I'll skip over some of the ones that came up in multiple categories. But Domingo Santana off to a strong start, Christian Yelich, uh, Austin Meadows off to a really strong start. Really the whole Seattle outfield is, is up in these first few outfielders uh, between Santana, Meadows, and Hanniger. Um, you also have Jason Hayward's off to an incredible start so far. 
Um, Mike Trout, but that's not a surprising one. Uh, oh, Alex Gordon, very high up there. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer has been off to a pretty strong start. Michael Conforto. Uh, some of these uh, names in particular stick out to you? I mean, one guy got stuck out, and I, I followed him since he was in the minors. I actually saw him play a few games uh, out in Indianapolis as Austin Meadows. I mean, he's been great. I've played him in many DFS lineups. I don't even know if there's been a, a day that he's been playing where I haven't played him. So uh, I like what I've seen from him. He's, he's, he's a hitter. That's what it comes down to, and it still blows my mind that all the Pirates – like, I, I get Chris Archer, solid pitcher, but, I mean, what they gave up to get him in Meadows, and Tyler Glass now, poof. I mean, just giving up medals alone, that just seems like an awful lot, especially with the injuries they've had early on in the year. With Flango, you know, there's no more McCutcheon out there. And, and, and you see, I, I just think, yeah, I'm like, oh, I'll let, these guys, let this guy go. But, no, I, I like that. Even Tommy Pham, I like what he's brought to the table. Conforto, we've talked about the Mets, this team. I mean, it's really unpro- – I, I thought for uh, one guy that I, I've been impressed with early on is uh, Jack Peterson. I mean, the past, we, we we know what he can do, but the strikeouts have always been a concern for him. But, I mean, so far, I, I really, really, really like what Dave Roberts has done with this lineup. I mean, he really has gotten them all going on all cylinders, even, you know, Verdugo, too. You know, when when they put him here and there, he's he has gotten a lot of at-bats. He's done it. And, I mean, what what Dave Roberts have, has done with this team, especially – specifically this outfield, I, I, I think he's done a phenomenal job. And I, I get it's only been two weeks into the season, but I feel like you can almost throw damn near any any Dodgers outfielder on, on this list and say they've been off to a hot start because they have. Yeah, I mean, they haven't necessarily ranked highly in fantasy or as highly uh, as their per-game stats would be. Uh, but I agree with you on the Verdugo point. I have been noticing uh, quite a few starts against righties and you know, I don't. I don't necessarily know if I quite expected that with, with the depths that they have uh, already in the outfield. But as, as a fan of his, you know, Verdugo is one of those guys that I wanted to make sure every time I had a really long rankings list, I put you know him and and Kyle Tucker. Not not that I think that they're going to be traded, but you know, say Alex Verdugo or, or Kyle Tucker, or one of you know those level of tomorrow. They're an instant ad, all formats, absolutely down to see what they can do. Uh, you know, uh, Verdugo doesn't have necessarily one particular tool, home run power, batting average, or home run speed, batting average, that I think is going to blow you away. But I think Verdugo does uh, represent uh, a player who can contribute everywhere. Uh, Jock Peterson uh, has been leading off for this team against right-handed pitchers uh, fairly regularly and absolutely uh, going off in, in terms of hitting a, a bunch of home runs. And, again, already covered it a little bit, but uh, the Seattle offense was off to such a hot start. Uh, they have cooled down a little bit in the last couple of series, but I still think there's something legitimate, obviously, uh, in all three of, of the main outfielders in Domingo Santana, uh, Austin Meadow, or, I'm sorry, I'm getting teams confused. Uh, Domingo Santana, Mitch Hanniger, and Malik Smith. Uh, and with Domingo Santana, he was a player that I was high on last year. Uh, didn't, didn't obviously work out that way. I should have adjusted harder when those Brewers brought in Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain, but I, I believed in the skill set, so I, so I went out and, and still wanted to draft him highly. Uh, and he, he got he struggled for just a little bit, got knocked off, didn't end up having a good season. But now he's got every opportunity 
uh, he can possibly have uh, to contribute to a team. And so, you know, I don't necessarily think he's going to be – I mean, when I wrote this list up, I think he was outfield number two. Obviously don't think he's going to do that. But his batting batted ball profile two years ago in 2017 was so strong. He had a high number of line drives, low number of pop-ups, uh, used the opposite field, just did so many uh, things well that I was interested in. Uh, with Domingo Santana. Now, I didn't write out uh, any names on, on our little cheat sheet, uh, but are there any struggling outfielders that have particularly uh, piqued your interest so far? Um, I think for me, especially on my fantasy team, well, one in particular where I've just battled injury after injury after injury, Starling Marte for the Pirates. I, I feel he's gotten off to a, a little bit of a a slower start. Um, I, I was hoping that I would see the the steals, uh, uh, stolen bases. You know, uh, get a, I mean, he's he has three. I get it. He's three for four on the season, but I mean, he's struggling to get on base. I mean, his OBP is, is two sixty one. His average is at two fifteen. And you know, I feel I've seen him make good contact at times, but I, I feel you know at times he's just that soft contact percentage for him is, is, is he's just not making solid contact for me so he's getting off to a, a slow part and i mean he's going to only have a few more years of being his prime here i mean usually primes about well, 26 or 32 he's at this is your th- age 30 for him so you know a little bit of a slow start for him i i think it can be said for a lot of guys on this pirates team so it's been a little bit of a a letdown for me um who else would be a, a, another a guy? Um, Kyle Schwarber for the Cubs. Uh, I, I thought early on he was really putting it together, but I think he's, he's, he's struggled a little bit as of late. Um, I, I, again, the strikeouts were going to be there. They're always going to be there. But I, I do like looking at him. I, I have seen swings that remind me of his rookie season where he was absolutely crushing the ball. I feel like he did. He lost weight heading into last season. But I think this year he he's really uh, or in this offseason, I see. I think he put a little bit more mass on compared to what he lost uh, last year. And I, I think we have seen that with some of the swings he's put on the ball. That you know he is getting more uh, charge onto it. So for me, a slow start for him. But I mean that could be said for a lot of Cubs. I mean Rizzo too, Kyle Schwar- or excuse me, uh, Anthony Rizzo. So those those are two uh, outfielders I have on fantasy rosters that really uh, stick out. Uh, again. When I get a guy like Starling Marte, I get him. I mean, yeah, he'll hit home runs in the teens, but for me it's just a stolen bases. And right now he's just not getting on base. And I know it's going to be frustrating with this Pirates team, but, you know, again, I just think that, you know, the contact for him, he's just not – he's getting the ball in the air way too much for me. I like to see more line drive shots. I've seen some lazy uh, pop flies of the outfield in in the games that I have seen him play in. Again, with Schwarber, too, um, power, just not there. The strikeouts, I mean, here he has almost he has 19 and 56 at-bats, so he's striking out a little bit too much for my liking. So that's one thing that, you know, I, I really like to see him uh, turning around. And then I, I know you also wanted to bring up on the positive side of things the, the bit of a surprising start uh, that Dwight Smith Jr. of the Baltimore Orioles had. Um, I've been watching a few Orioles games as a Mancini owner, and Smith Jr. has actually been hitting towards the top uh, of the lineup, I believe, since the beginning of the year, which really does interest me a little bit because, you know, I, I've been negative about the Baltimore uh, front office going back a couple of years, 
Um, but this is a new front office. This is a front office that comes from the same school of thought that the Cardinals uh, and the Astros and the Brewers come from, and that's a school of thought that's been very uh, beneficial for those teams uh, in, in recent history. And, you know, seeing Dwight Smith Jr. lead off to start the year, or not lead off, but that second a lot uh, to start the year and then put off, uh, put up a 284, 329, 486 slash at this point. Uh, he doesn't strike out too much, and then he, he's hit three home runs with three stolen bases already this year. So, you know, is Dwight Smith Jr. someone that more people should be paying attention to and people just aren't because, you know, the Orioles and, and things of that nature? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this guy, he's been a long, he's been around for a while. I mean, he was in the minors at age 19, so, you know, and he's finally getting a shot, and you do see that with with teams that, you know, I mean, again, they're coming off 115 losses. That's what this, the Foyle team is. And, you know, so you're seeing guys that wouldn't normally get a, a chance to play every day. And, yeah, I mean, so far, so good. He's done good. I, I, I mean, you look at the numbers. I, again, if you look at his minor league career, it, it's nothing to get super excited about. But, I mean, if he's going to get it, if, if there's going to be a key. Okay, here's the thing for fantasy, especially DFS. A lot of you, you don't want a guy on your roster that's going to hit nine in the lineup. You just don't want it because you're not going to get nearly as many at bats. And if you go up, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure you talked about this not that long ago. Or if you look at the breakdown of at bats, you're going to see your leadoff hitters getting more than any other uh, position in the batting order. Number nine hitter is going to have the least amount, and it starts to decrease as you go down. Well, in DFS and even in fantasy, you don't want those guys hitting at the bottom of the order. You want the guys hitting at the top. And the thing is, too, with him, you know, towards the top of the order, VR shown the ability to do it, Mancini, too. And I said that's going to be an issue for them. They're not going to have guys on base. But, you know, you find a sneaky little player like this, obviously you're not going to be able to move him. I mean, 26-year-old, and, and, and he really doesn't have that much uh, – that many at bats under his belt, but I mean, you can get him in there and with injuries and a nice little utility spot. Or I mean, too, with DFS, you're going to try to look for some nice, uh, cheap players. Getting a, a guy like Dwight Smith Jr. has been a, uh, been very solid. Another guy we should bring up too is Brian Goodwin out there too. He's been a, a very, very solid addition, especially for a utility spot. Seeing him in, 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 in DFS lineups, I, I mean, I would if you would have told me. You know, playing for the Angels too. I mean, they've been they've been pretty bad. And when Trout went down, they were in trouble. But I mean, he has two home runs already. He only hit he hit what six last year, and he hit thirteen in two thousand seventeen. But I mean, for him to do that, I mean, we're not going to probably see a whole lot with the stolen bases. But again, if you're looking for cheap players for DFS lineups, a guy like Brian Goodwin that's going to hit probably towards the top of the order there. And, and the thing is, get all those at-bats. Both of those guys, Dwight Smith Jr., Brian Goodwin, been uh, nice little additions. Yeah, uh, you brought up the plate appearances by lineup spot. Uh, I'm trying to pull it back up here. So if you're giving the first person, this is a Rotographs, Fangraphs, Otanu uh, posting. If you're giving the first batter 600 plate appearances, which I actually wish they would have put a, a bigger number than 600. I usually like to go 650 to 7. Uh, even even though players get hurt, I just prefer to use that because that's what a team's likely to get to. Uh, per 600 plate appearances, if you go down to like 8, it's 502. So the difference between first to 8 is 97.58 plate appearances per 600. And so, you know, you're going to add another, if you're playing all season, you're going to add another 6th to that 
that difference, and it's going to be about 116, 120, or something around that range for the difference between batting, say, first to eighth. So, you know, if you have a guy like Dwight Smith Jr. batting second, uh, you're getting the maximum or near the maximum amount of plate appearances. You know, I agree with you. I've been playing a lot more DFS recently, just trying to figure out, you know, how this game, how that game works. Um, And Loriano is a player that I absolutely love, but I, I find myself not being able to play him because he's still fairly highly priced in a lot of these formats and he bats eight every single day. And on a day-to-day basis, I know that unless the game ends on the eight or nine hitter, he's going to have one less plate appearance than everyone else on the team. And that's just a hard thing to buy into on a daily fantasy, uh, in a daily fantasy capacity. And obviously if it's hard to buy into on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's fairly easy to see how that can translate into the long-term fold. Uh, we'll turn it to the pitching side of things. Um, Blake Snell uh, off to that hot start, but but got hurt with that, that toe injury. Um, Matt Shoemaker, his splitter seems to be back. Luis Castillo, been very surprising so far this year. Um, Brad Keller struggled a little bit this last start, um, but, but he's off to a good start. Oh, Matt Boyd is, is a good name to throw out. Frankie Montas, I think, is also a very strong name to throw out. He had an incredible start uh, this this past this past game against the Houston Astros. Uh, anything there particularly stick out to you? Are we just talking about streamers in general, or, or, or did you say a specific day? Oh, no. Uh, sorry, I didn't move on uh, to the streamers yet. I know we're kind of running out of time and behind. I'm just talking about looking oh, back. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on, sorry. On... Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Those are, yeah, no, uh, great names. Too. How about, too, you know what? I was absolutely shocked. How about Mike Miner's start this past week, too, uh, uh, against, uh, who, who was it against? Uh, against L.A. I did not see him going for a complete game shutout, too. So, I, I mean, we see, that was pretty good stuff. I mean, I don't think I would have uh, ever added any a starting pitcher at any point for the, the Rangers. So, no, that's been good. Uh, Barrios, phenomenal. I think uh, a big thing, too, for the struggles that we've seen for Cincinnati, I mean, Luis Castillo has really, you know, rebounded great. He's always had great stuff. He's really putting it together. And, you know, and, and with that elevation of, of his fastball, too, he, he's getting a lot of swings and misses up there. So, you know, he's he's been great. Um, you talked about, I mean, we hit on Garrett Cole, too. He's been absolutely great. But, um, yeah, no, uh, we've seen a lot. And, again, it just kind of – Kind of, it kind of sucks a lot uh, looking at this list here, guys, with the Blake Snell injuries. God, it's, it, that's just one of the biggest blows for fantasy. Yeah. Um, sorry, who who got hurt, did you say? I missed that. Uh, just talking about Blake Snell. Snell. Being back yeah. on him, yeah. Yeah, no, the Snell injury absolutely stinks. Um, yeah, I think the one that I'm interested in the most is, is Luis Castillo and also – Sonny Gray's been doing better and better. Um, Derek Johnson got a lot of credit with this Milwaukee Brewers staff going back to last year. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about the Reds, but, but Derek Johnson switched teams over the offseason. Um, he, he, he had a lot of credit with this Milwaukee Brewers staff uh, in 2018, got switched over to the Reds before the start of this season, and, and it seemed to have a, a positive impact on these guys uh, like Luis Castillo and like Sonny Gray. I could be wrong on this factor, but I do believe he's a pitching coach that Sonny Gray has worked with in the past. I believe that might have been one of the reasons that they wanted to uh, win Cincinnati traded for Sonny Gray. They mandated or, or part of the trade 
that they agreed on to was mandated on a Sonny Gray extension yeah, with the team. So, what? Yeah, he, that was his. That was his pitching coach out in Vanderbilt. So they have a, a long history together. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think that's the relationship they targeted, and so so Sonny Gray is, is a bit of, you know, post type is a hard thing to call a guy like Sonny Gray because even when he was on, he he wasn't striking out the world, and he's obviously in a worse venue right now. But uh, I do think there's there was an interesting pitcher in the past here that a lot of people bought into, and I definitely think the Reds targeted this relationship with this pitching coach. So so that's one uh, pitcher that. Uh, I'm particularly interested in. Uh, is there anybody who who struggled? I mean, obviously, I think there's a lot of pitchers that have struggled uh, so far this year. Zach Wheeler has had a couple blow-ups off the top of my head. Aaron Nola hasn't been a particularly crisp yet. Chris Sale uh, has obviously had a lot of uh, struggles. Uh, Walker Bueller just had his first good, really good start of the year. Uh, his past timeout, but before then, uh, had been quite quite the disappointment. Uh, any of these uh, disappointing starters stick out to you, Kyle? One that's not on this list, but you and I know very well, you Darvish, um, especially after last year signing that huge contract. And, you know, we know what he's done in the past, especially like w- when the club signed you Darvish, I was thinking you Darvish from Texas. That's what I was thinking of. That's what I was expecting. Again, he did come off the of Tommy John surgery while he was out there. And we saw what he did with uh, L.A. He looked good in the playoffs, a different story. Now, you know, entering this year, you know, he, he, did, he made a lot of different adjustments. You know, he did have um, things to work with. He did have that issue last year that everything seems corrected. Now, one thing that absolutely blows my mind, he was missing his spots. I, I talked about it a, a few weeks ago here on the radio. I, I feel like he was holding up. You know, and really not uh, – it wasn't fluent with his delivery. He was not repeating his delivery, and that's one of the biggest issues that a pitcher can have. He was only throwing 90-91 in the spring. He was throwing 96-97. One thing that absolutely blows my mind, this last start of his, one of the best starts I've seen him throw as a Cub, and it hasn't been too many. I think this is only his 14th start as a Cub or 10th, something like that. It was a really low number, and it kind of was head-scratching. It was the fifth inning. He was hitting 99 miles an hour with his fastball. I don't understand what it is. I personally, the only way I could think of to explain that is it was a mechanical flaw. And and what I saw in his first two starts of the season, he was not, he he was just throwing, he wasn't pitching and he started to aim because he knew he was having issues locating his fastball. And for me, and he's going with his slider too. You're not seeing him throw a curveball at all. I think, I don't I think he's only throwing like two or three on the season, but he was stopping his momentum. He was stopping early and high, and, and because of that, he wasn't located. His uh, his mechanics were great. He was finishing. He was getting through. He was getting over his backside. And, again, I think that is what I could possibly think of that saw that increase in velocity, especially in the fifth inning. That's something that we're not used to seeing. And, you know, and, and seeing that from him, I want to see him build off of that. I know I'm not going to get too excited because, I, I, again, I, he had two bad outings prior to this, this third start. But, I mean, for a guy that struggled to see that, and, and I think it's a boost of confidence. So he's a guy I want to keep an eye on. Because if, if, if this start is a, a thing, uh, uh, just kind of a, a precedent thing to, to see as, a, as the season progresses, you Darvish, after he his first struggles in a horrible last season, I get it, it was a little bit of injuries here and there. 
But, I mean, this is great to see for a guy that struggled early on. Yeah, and then, so obviously um, we won't be getting to our previews for this show as we're just about to wrap up. Um, I do think, though, that it was important for us to – to cover all these players because, you know, we didn't have a show last week and, and we did have one show since opening day, but, but for the most part, we hadn't covered uh, a good bulk of the ins and outs and, and the going ons of what we had seen so far in this season. Uh, you know, next week, uh, obviously we'll, we'll do a little bit better of, of cutting down the early parts of the show so that, you know, we can, we can cover some of these upcoming weekend matchups uh, because I do know that a lot of people like to, to hear streamers and, and DFS calls moving forward to the future uh, in shows like that. Uh, but that'll just about do it for, for me and Kyle today. Um, I'd just like to say to Kyle, uh, if there's any burning streamers or, or something that you really, really wanted to get off your chest and, and uh, our show going a little long on the first half, uh, kept you from that. Uh, feel free to just let it let it out right right now, uh, and and then I I will see you next week. Yeah, one that I'm probably going to be eyeing because I like to do the late slate matchups, uh, especially on, on uh, every day. But it almost all there's only one early game tomorrow. But you know, if I was looking when I'm trying to stream a pitcher, I try to pick on on teams that are struggling. Now I think uh, a pitcher that is you know that has a really good opportunity is Aaron Brooks for Oakland at home, going against the Toronto team. I know they've shown signs of life, but I mean pitching in Oakland, you know, and I think he he or I shouldn't say I think he has shown signs of you know of, of quality, being a quality pitcher, not not a one or two, but being a, a solid back end uh, a starting rotation for this team. Uh, Aaron Brooks is a guy I'm going to give a deep look at for tomorrow. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, as always, it, it's great to have you here on the show, and, and I'll see you next week. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Well, that'll be it for us today on the Major League Fantasy Sports Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I'll be back with Brian Roach Sunday as the co-host. Oh, actually, this Sunday I'll be hosting our Sunday show, I I believe. Uh, And then I'll be back with Kyle this next Thursday. But uh, until then, see you.